The Old Testament reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 24 to 31. You can find it on pages 3 and 4 of the Church Bibles. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. The livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Romans. Our New Testament lesson will be taken from Romans chapter 1. The first seven verses found on page 1,128 in your red Bibles. Starting in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we are in part three of our sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. 
And I think with the two texts that were read this morning, we have two very different things. We have the, the completion of creation that we started from last week in Genesis 1. And then here we have also this claim, essentially, that the Apostle Paul is making, that this Jesus was not just a teacher, was not just a prophet, but was also the very Son of God. Now, Andy and I talk about this occasionally. I'm not sure if we have the weirdest job in the world or the coolest job in the world. Because these are two issues that divide almost everyone. I mean, there are those who, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, look at you with pity. How could you believe such a myth? There are those, a stone's throw away at the university, who if you claimed that God created everything, would look at you with just a look of absolute terror. Those of you who are scientists in this room know all too well what I'm saying. And I think sometimes we have an amazing opportunity, and sometimes as pastors and all of us together as God's church have this very, very weird thing we sometimes have to sort out. The line in the Apostles' Creed that we are studying this morning is, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. What are we saying? That there is a God, he is our Father Almighty, we talked about two weeks ago. Last week we talked about this same God as the creator of heaven and earth, and now, this morning, we are talking about his son. And so we start in Romans. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Roman church where he lays out this very foundation of of this idea. He says in verse one, he first starts by saying that he is a servant of this Jesus. That the Apostle Paul is serving this person. That he is to be set apart We know this through study and and, and being in the church that this also means holy, right? That these, these come from the same idea that to be holy in the Old Testament is something that is set apart. And the Apostle Paul is saying, it is because of this Jesus that I am different. It is because of the gospel, the good news that this Jesus brings that I am different. So what is this good news? Well, in verse 2, he says that this good news has been promised all along. Since the times of the prophets, since the times of, of King David and all of the people who have come before them, promises of God's help, promises of God's deliverance from suffering, promises of God's forgiveness, his love, his favor to his children. We've talked about this before. We just actually read it this morning in the youth group that in the book of Matthew, Jesus says that he came to fulfill the scriptures. That he is the completion of that very creation we read. This is the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus that we celebrated just weeks ago with Easter. This is the gospel. And so Paul says then to the Roman church in verse 3 to lay this foundation, he says, it is regarding his son, regarding this Jesus, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. Saying, listen, this Jesus is God's son, but it's not that he just appeared out of nowhere, but that he has a lineage. He has a kingly lineage. He is a descendant of David. Maybe the greatest king Israel ever had. He did not just come from nowhere. He has a royal bloodline. And he also, verse 4, 
not just had a royal bloodline, but that through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. As I said, what we just celebrated in Easter. And this word, appointed, is a bit misleading. I just want to clarify something. When it says that he was appointed the Son of God, it's not saying that at his resurrection he became the Son of God, as it may sound. But that this word in the Greek can mean many different things, that it was more of a declaration, that when he conquered death, that when Jesus rose from the dead, it was clear to all that he was, in fact, the Son of God. He always was the Son of God, but this made it clear to us who would see it. His resurrection declared before the world that he had been appointed by God, in fact. And that Paul here is proclaiming something that when the the church leaders 300 years later got together to write down the Apostles' Creed that we're studying, affirmed said, yes, Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God, indeed our Lord. You know, the other thing we have to talk about, and I would encourage you, if, you, if you're able to come to the class that we'll have um, just after coffee hour or even before the evening service tonight, where we can discuss these issues a little more fully. But we're also going to talk more, if you've, we don't have time to go into all the theology behind it, that this Jesus was, was fully God and was fully man. That this was a unique thing. And, and Paul here is saying this very thing. That this Jesus Christ who was born, who walked this earth, who lived a blameless life, did in fact resurrect from the dead and is the Son of God. Because in verse 5, through him we have received grace. I love how Paul phrases this. If you look at verse 5, through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. That we are all called to the same faith. We are all called to the same obedience. That we are all, as he goes on in verse 6, called to this Jesus Christ. That this Son of God has called us all to salvation, has called us all to lordship under him. Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. What a great overview Paul gives at the beginning of his letter to the Romans about essentials we need to understand about this Jesus that he was in fact the son of God. He did in fact raise from the dead, therefore making him our very Lord. Affirming his sonship. And Paul is calling the church in Rome and also us to believe these things. He is not just saying this is an option. He's not saying, hey, if you choose to believe this about Jesus, here's some stuff. He's saying this is who Jesus is and was. And this is something that we must understand this claim being the son of God that Jesus himself even made. When Peter, he asked, if you remember the story in Matthew 16, verse 15, Peter, he says to him, what about you? Who do you say that I am to his disciple? And in verse 16 in Matthew, it says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter claimed it. Jesus affirmed it. Many times in the New Testament we see times where where Jesus either claims to be the Son of God or his followers are claiming him to be the Son of God. And some are very skeptical of this, aren't they? 
Many people in the world are very skeptical that Jesus could in fact be the Son of God. How is this even possible? Many people think that this was uh, after he died, right? After Jesus died, he was just this, this teacher wandering around Judea, and, and after he died, his, his followers had to come up with a plan. Right? Hey, we've been working for three years, let's not waste this. Um, let's take the body, we'll say he resurrected, we'll call him the son of God, and then we'll just sort of keep this going. Right? And, and, and to be honest, some of these arguments are, are logically very compelling. There's a scholar from the United States named Bart Ehrman, and uh, he is a very good writer, actually, a very persuasive guy, and he writes a book that became very popular. Uh, It's called How Jesus Became God. I would recommend you all read it. It's a very good read. But he he talks about this, and he's saying, how does a man come from a first-century Jewish preacher to an equal part in the Trinity? (laughs) I mean, how in the world could something like this happen? But his believers, not skeptics, But his believers from early, early on, the Apostle Paul, maybe 20, 30 years after Jesus' resurrection, is saying, no, 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 this isn't just something that was created. This isn't just something that was thought up by clever people, but that he is the very son of God and his resurrection proves it. The question for the church, for us today, some 2,000 years later, is what do we believe? This is what the creed is asking us. The creed is saying, it's listing things that we believe, but what do you believe? Because if you believe in this Jesus, see, many people can agree with the first two statements we've talked about. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Yeah, there may be a God out there some way. Okay. The creator of heaven and earth. Well, okay, sure, God may have created everything. I can concede that maybe or some sort of powerful force. Okay. But to say that we believe that Jesus Christ was the very Son of God, now we're starting to get some really, really big distinctions. Now we're starting to be different than people around us. It means a lot for our lives, doesn't it? I would even argue, and I've said this before, that it makes us all mystics and a little bit weird, right? A little bit illogical. You know, if you read philosophy, a lot of philosophers will say that they don't believe anything that cannot be proven by logical reasoning or by firsthand experience. And outside of that, there's nothing is worth believing in. But a mystic, someone, a mystic is someone who believes spiritual truths beyond the intellect, beyond rational explanation. Us, you and me. It sets us apart from those who do not believe. What did Paul say in verse 1? Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. You see, church, first and foremost, we need to understand that if we are claiming this apostle's creed to be something that we believe, if we are claiming this Jesus to be the son of God, it sets us apart from this world. You know, Andy said something I think was profoundly entertaining last week, and I've been thinking about it all week. He asked first if we doubt, right? And then he asked, what about when we doubt our doubts? I would challenge, and I always challenge people this when they ask me, do you really believe in Jesus? I would challenge you as well as all people to think about that question. 
Because if Jesus was in fact a real person, and we know that he was, there was a person wandering around preaching in the first century and that there was a real guy. But the rest of the story is where it gets really hard to believe for most people. And I would argue the same way C.S. Lewis said famously, Watchman Nee before him in, in, in the early 30s made this argument, the famous author, that Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or God. We have to decide which one. And if Jesus Christ is who he said he was, is God, then there is no part of this life, there is no part of our thoughts, there is no part of actions we do, there is no part of history, there is no part of future events, there is no part of the present, there is no part of this world that is not affected or changed by this truth. Think about how crazy this thought is. That the God of the universe who created all of these things came to us in the flesh to experience our very life. To experience the same pain and suffering you have felt. To show us the way to live. To die for us that we would live forever. I mean, if you want to make a logical argument, like I said, philosophers love logic and reason. I love logic and reason. Let's think about it logically like this. What other religion can offer this? What other God could offer this? Imagine for a second that all gods are the same, that all religions are the same, and they're all making you a sales pitch, right? They're trying to recruit you to their team. And this God offers one thing, this God offers another thing, and then this God comes to you and says, hey, I know your life. I know your world. I know you're tempted. I know you've been beaten down. In fact, I was tempted. In fact, I was beaten. In fact, I was killed unjustly for your sake, so you don't have to. What other God could make that offer? And in this, Christ shows that he is not the same as other gods, that he is not the same as other idols we worship, but that he is in fact the son of the living God who has all of the power and the justice and the love of the living God. See, this truth is not just something, one little point in a a phrase that we believe. This truth changes everything. It changes how we speak, how how we live in this world. Because not only did he show us a good way to live, he also left us commands, didn't he? Christ said that we must be willing to forsake all others for him in Matthew chapter 12. He said that we must be willing to give everything, even to death, in Luke chapter 9. His brother James wrote that we must die to our selfish desires and the temptations of our hearts. In the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul wrote that to follow Christ as we studied in Lent, we must die to ourselves, put off the old, and put on the new in Jesus. If Jesus Christ was the Son of God, it changes everything. It's a simple truth, but it's a difficult one to live. We must decide, do we believe this? I once heard a pastor say, and I forget his name, but I once heard a pastor give this analogy, and I've used it with the youth before, maybe before from the pulpit, and if I have, forgive me, but I love it. It's the the difference between knowing Jesus and living with Jesus. 
Imagine for a second that you want to be an expert in elephants. And so you start to study elephants. You go to the zoo and you observe the elephants. You go to Africa and you observe the elephants in their natural habitat. You go to the jungles of Southeast Asia and you learn about jungle elephants. You read all the books, you study, you do everything you possibly can to know about elephants. Now, that's great. What would happen if you actually invited an elephant into your house? What would change? Your knowledge would, would be firsthand, wouldn't it? Your knowledge would change to understand all of the things that go into living with an elephant. See, many people want to know about Jesus. Many people want to study Jesus. Many people want to know the ins and the outs and the history and the future and all the little details. But church, when we say we believe in Jesus, we are inviting him into our home, into our very lives to live with him. And that changes things. It solidifies this belief that not only is he the son of God because he's still alive and rose from the dead, but that he is your and my Lord. The creed states, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. History agrees that Jesus was real. History knows there was a guy named Jesus. But was he who he said he was? Do you believe that? Are you willing to invite him into your home and change everything? Because I guarantee you, if you invite an elephant into your home, it will change everything in your life. Okay? Will you invite Jesus to do these things? Have you invited him? Or have you invited him and are you ignoring him? Are you pretending there's not this elephant in your house that changes everything and just trying to look normal from the outside? Many people, when they come to Jesus and they come to a statement like this, ask the question, so what am I to make of this Jesus? What am I to do with this Jesus? Friends, church, that is the wrong question. According to C.S. Lewis, the question we should be asking is, what is Jesus to make of us? What can Jesus do with us? When we live with him intimately, deeply, what will Jesus do in your life? When we believe in Jesus, what will he change? Church, let me encourage you that he, like he did in the resurrection through the power of God, can draw us up from the dead. We can be made eternal and have been for those who believe. He has shown it with his resurrection. He can make beauty from ashes. He can redeem all the brokenness and hurt in your life. He can heal, he can conquer death, he can conquer pain, he can conquer sickness and shame. And if that were not enough, as he's healing us, as he's fixing these things in our life, he also then uses us in our brokenness, in our weakness, to do amazing things for him. And not just amazing things for the here and the now, but amazing things that last for eternity. And that is what sets us apart as Paul said in verse 1. That when we make Jesus Christ the Son of God, the Lord of our life, it sets us apart that we can no longer be the same, we can no longer be like everyone else, but that we must, having Him be our Lord, give Him control over our very lives, that we would be set apart from this world. That we would live as people who do things differently. 
As John the Baptist famously said in John chapter 3, this Jesus must increase and we must decrease. What does this mean for us? It means everything. One of my favorite writers and pastors of all time, Eugene Peterson, said this. The Son of God empties himself of prerogative, of divine rights, of status and reputation in order to be the one whom God uses to fill up creation and his creatures with the glory of salvation. This Son of God who came and lived life like we lived life gave up everything that we would be full. Gave up everything that we would be healed. Gave up everything that we would know what security and eternity with our God is. Jesus can fill you up with the joy of salvation, with eternity, with his glory. And if we believe, church, and if we continually believe this thing together, we will find the fullness in Christ that we have always been searching for. And so, I would invite you all now to please open up your hymnals to page 14. And if you're able, I would also invite you to please stand that we would recite this creed together as one body, knowing full well what it entails for us. In your hymnals on page 14, you will find the traditional Apostles' Creed. And so, church, today I ask you, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Amen.